Hello and welcome to the podcast edition of Scripps 5 Must Know Things, this time for the business week ended 28th April 2023. This is Ian Haydock. This time, BMS names new CEO, Novartis culls pipeline, AstraZeneca taps Chinese innovation, Q2 approvals to look out for, and a look at deal-making trends in 2022. Bristol-Myers Squibb's next CEO will be Chief Commercialization Officer Christopher Berner, who has been readied to take the top spot at the Big Pharma. CEO Giovanni Caforio will step down from the leadership role effective 1st November, although he will continue to serve as Executive Chairman for a transitional period. The company announced what it expects to be a smooth leadership transition after market closed on 26th April, one day ahead of the company's first quarter sales and earnings call, Jessica Merrill writes. Berner, who will become Chief Operating Officer immediately, has led Bristol's commercial and medical teams as Chief Commercialisation Officer since 2018. He's been a high-profile leader at the company during its push to launch nine new drugs in three years, a high commercial bar for any big farmer while managing through the initial stages of the loss of Revlimid exclusivity. He previously served as Head of International Markets Accountable for International Commercial Activities. Prior to that, Berner led US commercial markets, responsible for US sales and marketing, government affairs and market access. He joined Bristol in February 2015 from Seattle Genetics, which is now CGEN. Chris is an exceptional leader, and the board and I believe he is the right person to guide Bristol-Myers Scribb through its next chapter, Gaforio said in a statement. Chris's expertise has been integral to our commercial success during his tenure at BMS. Gaforio, a 23-year veteran of Bristol, has led the company since August 2015, when he succeeded Lamberto Andriotti after working as Chief Operating Officer. He was the architect of Bristol's $74 billion acquisition of Celgene in 2019, a merger that gave the company more cancer blockbusters, access to new CAR-T technologies and a commercial toehold in autoimmune disease. Novartis has followed through on a pledge to streamline its R&D and commercial focus, with the company announcing that it has cut 10% of its pipeline in the first quarter. The update came along with better-than-expected results for the period, which allowed the Swiss big pharma company to raise its full-year sales and profit guidance for 2023, thanks to strong growth from cardiovascular drug Entresto and a wave of newly launched therapies. Last year, the company's CEO, Vasnara Simhan, responded to lacklustre results in recent years by unveiling a strategic overhaul aimed at focusing the firm on just five core therapy areas and key markets, most especially the US, while at the same time streamlining the organisation and cutting costs, Andrew McConaughey writes. The efforts feed into Novartis' goal to become a more streamlined, pure-play pharma business, as is its spin-off of its generics and biosimilars division, Sandoz. This is planned for the second half of 2023, though Novartis could still find an interested party to directly acquire the unit. The company has been busy in Q1 clearing out its pipeline, cutting 16 programmes for development. The most advanced of these were at Phase 2 and include LYS006 for ulcerative colitis, HSY244 for atrial fibrillation 
and LKA651 for diabetic eye disease. However, the solid tumour oncology pipeline saw the biggest cuts, with seven programmes dropped from Phase 1 development. Most of these were combinations of spartalizumab, Novartis's in-house developed PD-1 inhibitor, with a variety of new agents. We've taken the decision that if it doesn't fit within that framework, we are either going to stop the programmes or divest them. So that's the way we are really focusing from a pipeline standpoint, Narasimhan told Scrip. Novartis has also set itself the target of turning around its underperformance in the US market, where it aims to move up from 10th biggest pharma company to the 5th by 2027. Entresto will soon reach the end of its market exclusivity in the US, but a wave of newer Novartis drugs could help replace these lost blockbuster sales, including breast cancer drug Kiskali and multiple sclerosis treatment Kisimpta. Novartis has also identified radioligand therapies as one of its key therapy areas, believing the targeted radiation therapy approach can reach new targets more safely and effectively than other methods. Despite these promising late-stage developments, though, many analysts are still not fully convinced Novartis can match its best-performing peers in growth prospects. AstraZeneca was once known as a sort of multinational that once moved quickly to get its hands on an innovative drug asset originated in China. Over the past few years, however, it has been largely missing from the deal-making scene, whereby various Chinese drug candidates have been scooped up by a collection of international drug makers. However, the UK-based major is now reviving its enthusiasm for novel drug assets from China, as the local biotech industry has developed to take a leading position on the world stage in a few development areas. Susan Galbraith, who's Executive Vice President and Oncology R&D Head of AstraZeneca, told Scripps Dexter Yan in a recent interview. A decade ago, there were a lot of Chinese companies that had products that were similar to what were available in the West, remarked Galbraith, one of the architects of AstraZeneca's burgeoning cancer portfolio. But what we see now is they are leading globally in various areas. A good showcase of this turnaround came in February, when the multinational announced an up to $1.8 billion licensing deal with the Chinese biotech's KeyMed Biosciences and Lepu Biopharma, for the global development and commercialization of CMG901, a Claudine 18.2 targeting antibody drug conjugate. The latest partnership emerged 12 years after AstraZeneca joined hands with Hong Kong and Shanghai based Hutchmed on Orpathis, a MET inhibitor, with an interlude in 2022 when the UK giant acquired global rights to the bispecific antibody HBM7022 also targeting Claudin 18.2 and CD3 from Shanghai-based Harbour Biomed. Apart from the hot area of ADCs, Galbraith also noted that Chinese companies are well-positioned globally in the areas of cell therapy as well as bispecific and tri-specific antibodies, noting high-quality science is happening in this area and could help advance immunotherapy for cancer patients. Looking forward, AstraZeneca sees more opportunities to strike deals with Chinese biotechs, which should aim at the global market, Galbraith added. Notably, the firm is one of the major multinationals most reliant on the China market in terms of share of global revenue. Last year, AstraZeneca's sales in the Asian country accounted for 13% of its total. 
China is also now the second largest single country market for AZ after the US. Now entering the fourth decade of doing business in China, AstraZeneca is also building a network ecosystem through local partner CICC Capital. In a first step, the collaboration has opened a door for the multinational to tap into Chinese biotech's expertise and global leading innovation in cell therapy, according to the executive. In 2021, the AstraZeneca CICC Fund co-led a $120 million Series A round investment in CBMG Holdings, also known as Cellular Biomedicine Group. The second quarter has already seen the approval of Gamida Cell's cell therapy Omisurge, and with the help of Biomed Tracker, Scripps' Alex Shimmings highlights 10 of the more interesting new drug approvals due in the next three months. Away from its adventures in Alzheimer's disease, Biogen is hopeful of an accelerated US approval for Tofersen, which it licensed from Ionis Pharmaceuticals, as the first treatment to target a genetic cause of amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. On 22nd March, the US FDA's Peripheral and Central Nervous System Drugs Advisory Committee decided that Tofersen, an antisense oligonucleotide designed to reduce SOD1 protein synthesis, was suitable for an accelerated but not regular approval as the first disease-modifying treatment for superoxide dismutase 1, ALS, despite it missing the primary endpoint in the Phase 3 VALA study. The product is set to receive an approval decision from the FDA on 25th April. A new era beckons for the prevention of respiratory syncytial virus, with the potential approvals of two vaccines this quarter, these are expected to add to AstraZeneca and Sanofi's antibody therapy Bayfortis, which was approved last year in the EU for the prevention of the infection in newborns and infants during their first RSV season and is awaiting a similar US approval. Elsewhere, Chiesi and partner Protalix Biotherapeutics have a US Padufa action date of 9th May for their resubmitted Biologics license application for El Fabrio, for Fabry's disease after the FDA rejected the enzyme replacement therapy in 2021. The product received a European Medicines Agency positive opinion this February. El Fabrio is a plant cell culture expressed and chemically modified stabilised version of the recombinant alpha-galactosidase A enzyme, being the first pegylated enzyme for the treatment of adult patients with Fabry's. Alex's article also looks at a range of other products, which is too long to be detailed here, but which includes Beyondus's ADC for metastatic breast cancer, trastuzumab geocarmazine, and Sarepta Roche's gene therapy, SRP9001, for DMD. So do check out the article for all the details of these other products expected to be approved in the second quarter. Finally, despite continuing normalisation two years into the COVID-19 pandemic, 2022 was shaping up to be a year of significant downturn in biopharmaceutical merger and acquisition activity. The year closed out with a deal big enough, Amgen acquiring Horizon Therapeutics for $27.8 billion to shift the full-year statistics. But even with that transaction, however, M&A deal volume Total reported value and total average value dropped substantially from 2021, 
Joseph Haas writes in this infographic article. The difference really was just a matter of degree though. Factoring in the Amgen buyouts, M&A total value declined 40% from 2021, while average deal value, meaning the reported amount paid, without factoring in any downstream payments such as milestones or contingent value rights, fell by 32%. M&A deal volume decreased 12% from 2021 to 22, after an 11% uptick from 2020. Without the Amgen Horizon deal, total M&A value would have declined 59%, from $143 billion to nearly $59 billion, rather than just 40%. Likewise, average deal value was $407 million before the $27.8 billion mega deal, but rose to $593 million, including that transaction, meaning a 32% decline year over year in average M&A value, rather than 53%. Average M&A deal value, however, has been a less consistent indicator in recent years than some other statistics. The 32% decline of 2022 followed a two-year stretch in 2020-21 with almost no change in average M&A valuation. By contrast, and likely a symptom of how the pandemic instantly changed so many companies' priorities in 2020, average deal value descended 53% from 2019 that year. With Pfizer's $43 billion takeout of CGEN landing on 13th March this year, after months of speculation that CGEN's longtime R&D partner Merkinco might be the buyer, industry observers now see some hope that Biofarm M&A in 2023 might at least tick back up closer to the levels seen in 2019-21. to The valuation of 2022's five largest M&A transactions shows last year to be particularly anemic compared to the previous three years. The fifth largest deal in 2019, Novartis' acquisition of the Medicines Co., was nearly $10 billion, while only the top two deals hit the $10 billion mark in 2022. Possibly another indicator of the biopharma sector's limited capacity or interest in large M&A over the past four years is the fact that more than half of the 20 acquisitions comprising the largest M&A deals from 2019 to 2022 were consummated by just four companies. Pfizer with four, Bristol-Myers Squibb with three, and Gilead Sciences and Amgen with two each. The article also looks at alliances, licensing and partnerships, and deals by value and therapeutic area, so do check it out in full for all of the details. That's all for this week. Thanks as always for listening. And a reminder that all these articles are linked in the article accompanying this podcast and are just a fraction of the content from Scripps Global Team last week. So log in to see all of our coverage or sign on for a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.